I don't know about you, but if that doesn't wake you up, then, well, hopefully my intro catches your attention. If it doesn't, I'm so sorry. Uh, well, good morning, First Church. It's great to see you all here. Uh, those of you joining us online, thanks for your patience this morning. Uh, it's great to have you here no matter uh, where you are today. Uh, and so today we're going to be continuing in our sermon series on the book of Acts, the unstoppable series we've been working through. And this sermon has been a fun one for me to prepare for. I don't know if we can say sermons are fun to prepare for, but I've enjoyed it uh, not only because of the great man Stephen was, but because uh, my parents are here today, and uh, my dad's a pastor, my mom's preached lots of sermons, and after years and years of being a pastor's kid, I get to turn the tables, and I get to put them into my sermon and to embarrass them a little bit today. Uh, Finally, I, I, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh, I've heard my dad preach this sermon before, and we're both pretty, or I was pretty adamant he's preached it numerous times. He's just convinced he's preached it the one, the one time, which either was a really good sermon, or I just was paying attention. I don't know which one it was, but I'm going to rip his intro off, uh, and it goes like this. Uh, now, years ago, well, I guess I'm going to change it slightly. Years ago, when my parents found out that they were going to have a kid, they were all excited, we're, who? We're, having, we're having a kid. They didn't figure out if it was going to be a boy or a girl, but they just knew. They had that gut feeling it was going to be a boy. And so as parents do, you know, you start talking, planning, figuring out baby names. And so they both came to the conclusion uh, of one name, and that name was David. No, I'm kidding, it's Stephen. Could you imagine if this was the time I told you all my name's different? Uh, Stephen was the name that they had agreed upon, and it was this big, happy moment. But then, you know, as people do, it's, why did you name him that? What, what's the reason behind it? Now, then, if you would have asked my mom, she would have said that she named me after her side of the family, that I'm named after that side, uh, and it was all, you know, paying homage to her and her maiden name, where my dad, maybe trying to get pastoral points or, you know, some spiritual in with the big guy upstairs, uh, he said it was named after this man here in the book of Acts. Now, I don't want to pick sides, but as a kid growing up, when people would ask me, who are you named after? Why did your parents name you that? <laughs> Remember, I'm a child still, so a little grace for young Stephen. I would tell people, I'm named after the guy who got stoned. Not knowing that had a different meaning. And, and there was a whole bunch of confused expressions and looks, and people were like, sorry, they named you after who? What happened here? And eventually, when I figured it out, uh, my whole world was flipped upside down, and the judgmental looks and, and all of the questions made sense. <laughs> Anyways, now that I've completely derailed this whole time together, hopefully you're awake and with us and, uh, and ready to jump into God's Word. Uh, and, and if you have your Bibles with you or your phones, I'll invite you. We're going to walk through Acts 6 and 7 today. Uh, and so I'll invite you in there as we soak into this time uh, and continue learning about this unstoppable thing going on uh, in the early church, the early uh, days after Jesus' death. So starting in verse 1, we'll start there. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, Luke, the author of Acts, reveals a situation that is going on in the community. Uh, good news! The, the disciples, the number of disciples is increasing. The word and the name of Jesus is spreading throughout Jerusalem. However, uh, as the number of followers increase, so does the need. 
The need for daily distribution of food starts uh, becoming more and more uh, work for the 12, for the apostles, as Luke puts them. And then in in verse 1, Luke puts this. The Hellenistic Jews complained. They grumbled that the Hebraic Jews were putting as much focus on their widows, uh, weren't putting as much focus on their widows when distributing food. Right off the bat, Luke does something great for us here. Uh, He shows us that there are two groups going on, the Hellenistic Jews and and the Hebraic Jews. Uh, now, scholars and people much smarter than I have poured time and energy in, into looking into the Greek of this and trying to figure out if the Hellenistic Jews were Gentiles and lived kind of a Jewish lifestyle, or if these were uh, Jews that predominantly spoke Greek and grew up in that uh, Hellenistic, that Greek-like lifestyle, thanks to Alexander the Great and the Roman army and all of that historical stuff. It doesn't really matter for us. Uh, The the main thing I want you to get out of this is there are two communities here. That Luke has made a very clear effort to show that there are two Jewish Christian communities uh, going on in this season uh, at the early church. So back to our problem at hand. Uh, There are lots of people in need within the community, and the disciples just don't have enough time in their day. There's not enough of them to meet the needs of each person. Uh, Verse 2, it says this, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together uh, and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of God in order to wait on tables. Now, something very important here. This is not the disciples going, We're too good. We're too holy. We can't can't be waiters. We can't serve people. No, this is the apostles. They still serve. They still minister to others. But for them, they just recognize that their primary commission that Jesus has given them is to preach and teach the gospel, to preach and to share and to be witnesses and to proclaim his resurrection. It's hard for them to do that, though, when their entire day is spent handing out food to thousands and thousands of people who need it. And so in this case, what's the solution to our problem Hire interns, hire other people to delegate this task and this responsibility to. And now, it wasn't just anybody that could fill this role, though. Uh, even though the early Christian church was young and, uh, and still trying to figure out who they were, they still had qualifications and requirements uh, for something that some of us today might think, that's a, that's a small potato ministry area. But for them, it's very important Hence why in verse 3 we read, uh, the disciples say, choose seven men from among you uh, who are known to be full of the Spirit. Now, let's break this verse down a little bit. There's four things here. Uh, Number one, for cultural reasons, they had to be men. Uh, For number number two, uh, there were only to be seven of them. Now, why seven, you might be asking. There's not a clear reason Luke gives us. However, uh, throughout Scripture, seven is usually associated uh, as a holy number. Uh, And there are several Old Testament occasions where seven leaders are chosen in the book of Joshua and and throughout the history of Israel. Number three, uh, they don't have to be witnesses uh, of the resurrection of Jesus, but they must have a good standing within the community. Uh, This wasn't an exclusive thing for those uh, who had been the longest tenured followers of Jesus. It was open for new disciples, for new followers, but they had, uh, their community had to support them, had to get behind them and say, we'll vouch for that guy. He can serve tables well. And number four, they must be full of the Spirit and wisdom. 
Now, this last qualification is a pretty significant one. They have to uh, have wisdom. They have to be able to make good decisions, uh, not being rash or hasty. But they have to, in all that they do, think about what's best for the ministry and for the community, uh, to strive to live like Jesus had shown them how to live, and to be filled with the Spirit like the apostles were. As we read in verse 5, this proposal sounds great to the community. They're all for it. They go out, they do the work. I'm sure they had more than seven individuals that they brought back, and they were like, oh, what about, what about this guy? Oh, yeah, you're right. He doesn't wash his hands every time. Oh, what about this guy? No, well, he, he could, but let's put him on the back burner. And so eventually they have seven men, and Luke mentions these men. The first we hear about is Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit as well as he names the other six, yep. Now, Luke here in verse 5 sets Stephen apart from the rest. Uh, he is the only one who gets this special tag uh, with his name and who is noted uh, for fitting the qualifications the apostles asked for. He is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Luke continues throughout these two chapters of Stephen, uh, on Stephen and uses this tag a number of times. Uh, it starts here in verse 5, but then again in verse 8 we read, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. And then in chapter 7, verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, within the whole, the entire New Testament, whenever the word full is used as an adjective to describe a characteristic of an individual, this uh, only appears uh, 16 times within the New Testament. Four of these Luke uses to show that Stephen is full of wisdom full of grace, full of the Spirit. Despite Stephen only being in two chapters of the Bible, four of these full moments were dedicated to this one man. Uh, returning to verse 6, uh, we see that Stephen and the other six, they're accepted, they're commissioned to go and to do the work. The disciples pray for them, lay their hands on them, inviting and appointing them to go and to do the ministry, to serve one another. And this uh, here is a great testament to the early church. Uh, there was a problem, and the early church was flexible in finding a beneficial and godly solution. Uh, some, not our church specific, but sometimes I feel like as Christians, we just get so bogged down on traditions and what do we do and what don't we do uh, that we lose this early church thing of being flexible and finding solutions that God just makes so clear. Uh, verse 7, uh, it says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, usually within stories and narratives that many of us will read, what we expect to find next is one of two things. A, we either get to hear more about this new character and the work that they go on to do, or B, we get a flashback uh, and a look into that person's life to see where did they come from, what was their upbringing, uh, how are they in the position that they are now? But we get none of that. We get nothing from Luke saying that they did the ministry. We get nothing from him saying that they went out and served others. We don't get a four years passed and the, the apostles did what they wanted to do. So far, Luke has provided this much detail and information about Stephen. He's a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. For this past month, I've been really into watching uh, Drive to Survive, the show on Netflix that's the document show about F1. 
I don't know if I can actually stand up here and recommend it to you because at times it's a little bit much. Uh, but it does a fantastic job of doing what so many of us are used to, to seeing in shows and in stories today. Uh, they start off with uh, a team and a person and they follow that person for a little bit. And then the next episode comes and it's a different team and it's a different person and you follow that person. And then a little bit later in the season, they bounce back and they're like, oh, here's the backstory of this person. Here's the history of this team. And so by the end of the season, you're like, I know everything there is to know about that person. I know what they had for breakfast. I know what color socks they wear. And we're so used to this. But that's not what Luke does. And it annoys me. Luke instead, in verse 8, we get this. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. What? Huh? Luke, that's all we get from you? Where are the details? Where was he born? Why was he chosen? How much coffee did the guy drink? Give me something. Yet we get none of that. For Luke, none of that is important. The only thing that is important is that his life led up to this moment and he became one of the seven. Everything else before that, irrelevant. What matters now is that he is chosen. He has the qualities that they are looking for. And now he is causing a bit of a ruckus as he was performing signs and wonders among the people. Pull my sarcasm back a bit. What we do get from Luke is actually very significant. And he is described uh, in the likes and the fashion of Moses, of Jesus, the apostles. And then later in Acts, uh, the same thing, the same word in the language as Paul and Barnabas. Stephen is a big deal to Luke. Uh, And this is evident not only by the numbers of Jewish groups that oppose Stephen, but also, let's look at the locations. If we, let's throw that back. Excellent. Uh, Jews from Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya, uh, from Alexandria in Egypt, uh, from Cilicia in Asia, or modern-day Turkey. It's not like these are Jews of Jerusalem that have been having issues with Stephen. But these are territories that are far, far from the heart of the early church. So clearly, whatever Stephen was doing uh, upset the Jewish religious leaders in these communities, uh, but the work that he was doing is valuable for the early church and for Luke. Then in in verse 11, as we hear, those who opposed him looked for any way uh, to end the problem he was causing them back in their communities at home. They looked for any way to stop him, and so they persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Uh, So in in verse 12, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witness uh, who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, will change the customs uh, that Moses handed down to us. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Does this sound like something that around Easter time, we normally read. This encounter and interaction here is almost an exact match to the trial of Jesus. 
there's hopefully a graphic on the screen. Uh, Acts 6, 13. Men are persuaded to produce false witness before the Sanhedrin. Matthew 26, we read the same thing. Verse 14, they are accusing Stephen of blasphemy and accusing him of saying that, uh, <laughs> that Jesus would destroy the temple and spoke against the laws within the Torah and the book of Moses. Matthew 26 says the same thing. The same thing that got Jesus arrested, tried, and killed. Here in Acts are these same reasons Stephen is arrested on trial and eventually killed. While Luke doesn't give us Stephen's entire story as much to my dismay, just as Jesus was a man full of wisdom in the spirit, so too we read that Stephen is one as well. And he follows in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, where on Jesus' trial, he remains quiet and calm and, and silent uh, when asked about these accusations, Stephen stops. He takes a breath. And then he just simply launches into the longest account of Israel's history, a.k.a. the Old Testament, found within all of Scripture. He could have easily gone, no, I have never spoken against the temple. I have never spoken against the law. I have never said that Jesus would destroy the temple and rebuild it. A simple question could have had a simple answer. Instead, what he does is he goes, listen to me. And then for the next 50 verses, he goes on to tell this history of Israel and points out all of these moments where the glory of God is revealed, where the triune God shows himself, and the active work of the Lord uh, is, is presented both on heaven and on earth. He, he unpacks a three-point sermon before three-point sermons were like the norm and cool and all that. Stephen goes through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, all of these big figures within the Old Testament. He tells the story of Israel's history, a story about these patriarchs, the Mosaic law, and the dwelling place of God, uh, the temple. Now, throughout all of this, and I wish we could unpack it, but we don't have enough time today. Throughout all of this, Stephen could have simply stood there and pointed the finger at them. But that's not what he does throughout his speech. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 11, he says, Our ancestors, our, an our forefathers, our people, are, are, are. He puts himself in the story. But then, uh, in 751, he switches this on the Sanhedrin. And he goes, you, you are stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are like your ancestors. You will always resist the Holy Spirit. You are like your ancestors who persecuted the prophets. You have betrayed and murdered the righteous one. You who have received the law have not obeyed it. He condemns them. He calls them out uh, for following in the footsteps of their ancestors. They've killed the prophets. They've killed the Messiah that Moses and so many others sent by God uh, would say one day he is to come. While on this trial, Stephen challenges their thinking and how they view the temple and the laws of Moses. His entire response through chapter 7 is to make them think about the temple and to look back on Moses' life and the instructions that he gave uh, that they might have missed. Stephen uses the life and teachings of Jesus, and really this is one of the first times uh, that someone has looked back on the Old Testament 
and gone, there's Jesus. There's the Messiah. Here's what 